Hope you have your Bibles with you. You can take them out, turn to the book of Philippians. It's in the New Testament. We're in the middle of this Gospel Family Sermon Series. I'm excited because next week my brother will be here with us and he'll be preaching to wrap up this series. Um, on Saturday, this coming Saturday, he's the one, he and his wife, that'll be leading our parenting conference, our workshop, 9 to 2.30 Saturday morning. I promise you there's nothing more important for you to be at. In fact, we even have an easy way for you to register. You can dial that number somehow on your phone and text the word parenting, and it'll send you a link. You can click that link and register. Seven bucks pays for your Chick-fil-A lunch, so we know you're coming. But it's going to be a really great day. Single parents, uh, parents that aren't single parents, grandparents, if you are responsible for children in your home, be there on this Saturday. I love that song we sang, I will build my life upon your word. I think as we're thinking about the family, we could just equally as importantly say, I will build my house upon your word. Amen? That uh, I love the testimonies that God's word would be the center of our homes and in our families, that we would talk about it often, day and night, as we're going, as we're not going. Um, I pray that that would be our focus in week one of this series, we said that a gospel family worships together. It's important that we worship God together. Uh, yes, here on Sunday mornings, but also in our homes throughout the week, that we would sing praises to the Lord. Um, uh, that's important for children to hear those things. In week two, we said that a gospel family enjoys God's word together. Yes, I love individual devotional prayer and Bible study time. But God created us to not be alone. If you remember in the garden, he looked at Adam and he goes, this isn't good. And Adam goes, no, it's great. I got one-on-one -on -one time with you all the time. I'm not alone. He goes, no, I said that you're alone and it's not good. And Adam's like, no, it's good. I like it. Get to walk with you. God, you created me. We walked through the garden together. Everything's great. And God's like, shut up. I said it's not good for you to be alone. That's not just because he thought he needed a wife. It's because he knew that we were created to be in community, okay? And in your home, in your family, we are to be doing these things together. So today, the title of the message is A Gospel Family Prays Together. A Gospel Family Prays Together. The great preacher Charles Spurgeon, he said this about prayer. Prayer pulls the rope down below and the great bell rings above in the ears of God. Some scarcely stir the bell, for they pray so languidly. Others give only an occasional jerk at the rope. But he who communicates with heaven is the man who grasps the rope boldly and pulls continuously with all his might. The Westminster Catechism says that prayer is the addressing and petitioning of God. Prayer to a God or gods is a feature of many, if not all, religions. But here, attention will be restricted to the biblical teaching and some of its implications. A classic definition of Christian prayer, then, is an offering up of our desires unto God for things agreeable to His will, in the name of Christ, with confession of our sins and thankful acknowledgement of His mercies. I heard one of you say it earlier, Sid thought that I was going to preach way shorter today than last week because he thought we had time to talk to all of you earlier. That might not be the case. We'll see. But I heard one of you say that what 
God has to say to us is more important than what we had to say to him. We talked about how important singing praises to God is a couple weeks ago, but we did say that, yes, what he has to say to us in his word is more important than what we had to say to him. And along those same lines, a book I read by Tim Keller called Prayer said, our prayers should arise out of immersion in the scripture. We speak only to the degree we are spoken to. You hear that? We speak only to the degree that we are spoken to in God's word. If you want to be a better prayer, spend more time in God's word. Okay? If you want to be a better prayer, spend more time in, in God's word, which is what we're going to do today. Our passage is Philippians chapter 4, and we'll read verses 4 through 7. Four verses today. Now, if you're familiar with this passage, you might say, well, Brian, you said we're talking about prayer. Why don't we just do chat or verse 6 or maybe verse 6 and 7? Since verse 6 is about prayer and verse 7 is about uh, kind of a response to prayer, what you get out of prayer. But in fact, the paragraph should include verses 4 and 5, and so that's how we're going to tackle it. And I think appropriately because verse 4 has to do with our relationship with God and verse 5 has to do with our relationship with people. Would you say that our relationship with God and people would affect our prayer life? Let me ask it this way. Would you say that our prayer life might affect our relationship with God and people? So I think appropriately, um, Paul is including these verses in this passage. So turn with me, Philippians 4, and we'll read um, the four verses, 4 through 7, together. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Can we say a short prayer, Father? Speak to us this morning. Let none of these words be my own but yours. Let it be truth to our hearts. I pray that we are ready to learn. Help us to understand those things that we don't know. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. It's not only a great old hymn, uh, but maintaining a joyful heart is one of the most common struggles in the Christian life. I don't know why this is, but it is. I mean, we just don't always wake up ready to sing. Like that song we sang earlier, How Can I Keep From Singing? We don't always wake up feeling that way, do we? Anybody ever felt like not singing when they woke up this month? How about this week? It's probably why the evangelist George Mueller said that the first great and primary business every day was to have my soul happy in the Lord. Okay, this guy was a great man of God, and he still, every day he woke up, he had to make himself think, I need to be happy in the Lord. Obviously, there's going to be times, even seasons, that we struggle with despair, okay, depression, hardships. So be encouraged that you're not alone. Some of our greatest Christian heroes of our past have gone through those things. But Paul is not saying rejoice when things go well, is he? He says rejoice always. You see, joy comes from our relationship with Jesus, not our circumstances. Can I say that again? Joy comes from our relationship with Jesus, 
not our circumstances. Even Paul, as he's writing this letter, where is he? He's in prison. I'm sure it wasn't like the time of his life. But here he's encouraging us, even as he is uh, in prison, to rejoice always. I love how the message version of the Bible puts this verse. Listen to what this says. Celebrate God all day, every day. I mean, revel in him. I love that. It reminds me of the subject of why we're supposed to be rejoicing. Celebrate God all day. Rejoice in the Lord. Paul doesn't just say rejoice always. He says rejoice in the Lord always. You might think that you have joy when you get the things that you desire. You know, if I could just get that, I would be happy. Oh, I got this. Now I'm going to be joyful. The fact is, we have joy when we understand that we're not getting what we deserve. Amen? Joy comes when you realize that you deserve judgment, but you're receiving salvation. Your circumstances might change, but your salvation does not. And that is something to rejoice about, no matter what your circumstances are. Paul, in 2 Corinthians 6, he said he was telling his friends in Corinth about the struggles that he and his team were going through as they were trying to share the gospel message. Listen to what he says in chapter 6. Through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, we are treated as impostors and yet are true, as unknown yet well known, as dying, but behold we live, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing. Paul isn't teaching us that we should just always be skipping around, yay, happy, you know, it's like completely unaware of our problems and issues. He's saying that even through times we may be grieving and sorrowful, even sometimes through tears, when we remember the depths of our salvation, we can sing with joy because of Jesus. Amen? Rejoice always in the Lord. Verse 5 says, Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. The word here for reasonableness is a difficult word to translate. Some, some uh, translations might say graciousness or gentleness. Or a gentle spirit. Your, your Bible might say to be considerate in all that you do. So that kind of helps us get the idea of what Paul is trying to get across here. D.A. Carson says that it's the opposite of being contentious and self-seeking. Contentious and self-seeking. The opposite of that. Whatever that looks like. Being gracious and kind and loving and gentle. And he says, let that be known to who? Everyone. Not just your family, not just your church family, everyone. This is so important if you want to have an impact on those around you. If you want to have a kingdom perspective, one of our core values. If you want to practice relational evangelism, another one of our core values. Then you must have a willingness to be gracious with everyone. The moment you are not gracious with people, they quit listening to you. Okay, so any differences that you have with someone, they're not as important with what you have to tell them about the good news of Jesus. Does that make sense? So you put those differences aside and you show, you show grace and you show love and you show gentleness and kindness so that they would be willing to listen to what you have to tell them 
about Jesus. This is totally important today in our times. This is a very volatile culture. When you want to speak biblical truth, especially when it comes to things like uh, gay marriage, homosexuality, abortion, or anything like that. These are things that the church needs to, to take a stand on, and we need courage to do it. But you also got to have courage to, in the middle of, of being able to say that truthfully, to do it kindly and graciously and lovingly. I pray that Heritage has a reputation for being gracious and gentle and loving with people inside our church, but with also with people outside the church, with people who agree with you on Facebook and also people who disagree with you on Facebook. I'm watching. I'm watching what y'all write. Graciousness. He says, I pray that your, your reasonableness will be known to everyone. Paul reminds his listeners that the Lord is at hand. The Lord is close to them. He, he lives in their hearts, but also God is returning soon. And those two facts should cause us to live differently here on this earth while we're still here. We should be reminded, man, I'm, I'm a child of God. I ought to act the way he's asking me to act. I ought to speak to people differently than someone who doesn't have the hope, joy, peace, and patience in their heart that I do because the Holy Spirit is living in me. Does that make sense? I ought to look different. I ought to act different. I ought to speak differently. Verse 6 says this. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. This is interesting because doesn't God know my requests? Yeah, but he says, no, make them known to God. This just means just tell him. He knows, but tell him. He knows, but tell him. Remind him. Remind him more than once. Keep telling him your wants, your requests. Like the definition we talked about in the beginning, as long as it's in the will of God, he wants to hear it. He wants to answer those prayer requests. So as we look at these two final verses, we're going to see three characteristics of the family that prays together. Remember, this whole sermon series is wrapped around the idea that a gospel family, a family that keeps the gospel of Jesus, the good news of Jesus at the center of what it does, at the center of its priorities, these are the things that they will do. And today we're saying a gospel family prays together. Well, first, number one is this, a house of prayer turns anxious thoughts into prayer requests. A house of prayer turns anxious thoughts into prayer requests. Anxiety seems to be talked about more today than ever before in our history. Anybody heard the word anxiety this week? In a, from a kid, from an adult, from a commercial, from a website? Anxiety is everywhere. I did a real quick Google search. Over 390 million results on the word anxiety. Okay. One definition says that anxiety is intense, excessive, and persistent worry and fear about everyday situations. John Piper, pastor, says that anxiety seems to be an intense desire for something accompanied by a fear of the consequence of not receiving it. Now, Paul here is telling us not to worry, not to be anxious. Rather, take those thoughts and turn them into prayer requests. Tell your heavenly Father your needs. He seems to be echoing the teaching of Jesus in Matthew 6. Remember when Jesus said, don't worry about today? 
Don't worry about what you're going to eat. Don't worry about what you're going to wear. I take care of the birds. I take care of the flowers. Aren't you more important than the birds and the flowers? Besides, which one of you can add even a day to your life by worrying? And Paul here, he's saying the same thing. Don't worry. Don't worry. Take those anxious thoughts. Turn them into prayer requests. Tell your heavenly Father your needs. And a gospel family will do this together. This is what I want you to really take home today. A gospel family will do this together. Imagine with me, if you will, a father who admits to his family, including the kids, I'm really worried about some financial things going on. I'm worried about some bills piling up. I'm worried about the fact that we don't stick to our budget. I'm getting kind of nervous about that. Can we sit around together and pray and turn these thoughts into prayer requests and see if God will give us some peace in this situation? Is that teaching a kid how to go about it? Imagine a mom who says, hey guys, I'm really worried about this relationship at work. It's, it's stressing me out. Can we pray together that God would give me good rest tonight and not be anxious in the morning about going to the office? Can you imagine a family that would teach their children that? What would those kids do when they began to feel anxious about a bully or about schoolwork? or about sports, or about whatever it is that's important to them that's stressing them out, what would they know to do? They would say, hey, family, can we pray about these anxious thoughts I'm having and ask God to bring peace into that situation? I fear that what I see is that they've been taught to freak out about their problem and not know how to handle it or who to take it to. And if we as parents are teaching them that, that's exactly what they're going to do. And they're not even mature enough like we are to know how to handle some of that. Teach them how to take their anxious thoughts and turn them into prayer requests. Take them to the one man who can handle every bit of it and begin to bring peace into that situation. Anxiety is a joy killer. I think this is why Paul included verse 4, rejoice always in the Lord. Because when we have anxiety in our lives, it kills that joy. It makes us not want to rejoice in the Lord. When I'm worried and stressed about what's going on, whether the things are small or big, it takes away my joy. It makes me not want to sing when I come in here on Sunday morning. It makes me not want to spend time in His Word and in prayer when I wake up early in the morning. It kills my joy. It makes me not want to serve. What happens when you, when you stress out with, with anxiety? you become less likely to serve others wholeheartedly because you're consumed with your own worries. Worry and anxiety can become an idol. We begin, I heard one person say that worry is worshiping the problem. Worry distracts you. Worry keeps you from mission. Now, there's lots of prescriptions and advice about anxiety, okay? How to rid yourself... ...of that anxiety, and I'm not here today to like make some sort of statement... ...about whether those things are good or bad or anything like that. All I'm saying is this. Start with what God has said to us in His Word. Start with that. Okay? We need God's Word to know God's peace. Can I say that again? We need God's Word to know God's peace. If you want the peace of God in your life, then it comes from knowing... And spending time in God's word, a house of prayer turns anxious thoughts into prayer requests. Verse 6 says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. 
let your hearts be made, let your requests be made known to God. Number two, a house of prayer is a house of thanksgiving. No matter your circumstances, when taking your request before God, be thankful for what you do have. And when you receive good things, immediately stop, get your family together, and give God the credit for it. Thanking Him for His many blessings. When we first started Heritage, um, we, we really had nothing. We didn't even have a church family. I mean, Brooke and I and our family moved back from Tennessee June 1st. Well, we didn't have our first meeting until the end of August. We didn't start meeting at the school until September. Did you know that Brooke and I were able to have a salary um, June 1st? We didn't even have meetings. God provided from the outside people that wanted to support Sydney and Meredith and ourselves and the people, the team that God put together to start this church, and they began to give before we even started meeting. You know what we would do when those checks would come in? Both of our families, we would put it on the dining room table and we'd sit around and we'd pray and thank God for providing for us. We wanted our children as babies to know that all good things are gifts from God the Father. Instead of acting like you deserve what you have because of your hard work, show your spouse and your children that you are dependent on the Lord and grateful for everything he provides. Thanksgiving is a recognition that everything comes as a gift. And here's a bonus. Listen to this. Gratitude begets generosity. If you want to be more generous, be more grateful. When we're more grateful and we understand that what we have was a gift to us to begin with, it makes it easier for us to gift it to other people. You want to be a giving church? Be grateful for what you have to begin with. If we walk around always saying, well, I wish I had this. Must be nice. I could give more if I could get more. No, we don't. That doesn't make us want to give anything. But when we begin to be grateful for every single thing we have, man, I'm reminded of the woman that gave her last coin, and Jesus says she gave more. Why do you think she gave more? Because she knew that the one coin she had was a gift to begin with. And she gave it gratefully. Setting an example for our children in thankfulness, that's huge. Huge. Anybody know any spoiled, entitled kids? See how many results on Google come up when you, when you type that in. Raise grateful children. Set the example by being a house of thanksgiving. Verse 7 says this, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Number three, a house of prayer is a house of peace. Have you been wondering where the peace is in your home? It's probably wherever the prayer is. A house of prayer is a house of peace. R.A. Torrey wrote a book called The Power of Prayer. Listen to what he says. He says, those persons who know the deep peace of God the unfathomable peace that passeth all understanding are always men and women of much prayer. Paul doesn't say that prayer will keep us from having problems. Remember, he's in prison. But he's saying that once we pray and we give our burden to God, we can have peace in the midst of our problem. In our homes, times of problems, they can be very chaotic, can't they? 
I mean, when things start to go wrong, man, everything goes crazy in my house. Okay, whether there's a depression, whether there's a sickness, if Brooke gets sick, it all hits the fan, okay? I don't know if I'm allowed to say that, but um, <laughs> if the mom gets sick, it destroys our, our routines, and, and craziness comes in. Psh, fractured relationships, problems with kids at school. These hard times, it brings chaos into our homes. They put stress on the entire family. Paul tells us that the remedy is prayer. Togetherness prayer. You don't have to take it on as the leader of the family. Go get alone and just go, God, help me to be strong enough to lead my family through it. Man, get the family together. Admit that you are dependent upon him. Set that example for your, for your family. Let's be dependent upon the one God who is our creator that can take all of our problems and bring peace into the midst of our struggle. God's peace will make its way into your home if you become a house of prayer. Let me say this by closing. I love kids. Like all kids, I always have. I got this great connection with them. I think it's because I'm short. <laughs> Maybe it's because I look a little younger than I am. Maybe it's just because I'm silly. I don't know. But if I, if I see the little kids, I get on my knees, we high five, it's great. I got kids at the schools that'll just start coming up to me, telling me how their days are going, how school going, how sports going. I love that. I don't even have to ask sometimes. A great connection with kids. And I would pretty much do anything for just about any kid, okay? Even any of y'all's kids. Even if they're not great kids, I just love it. We have fun. But can I tell you that um, there are certain privileges, special privileges that come with being my kid? You know what I'm saying? Like Ainsley and Braxton, they have access to me that your kids don't have to me. Ainsley and Braxton receive things from me that no other kid receives. That's just, that's just how it works. Same thing with your kids. Agree? That's kind of how it works with God as well. Listen with me. See, you can go out and you can find some peace. You can meditate or exercise. You can medicate yourself. But the peace that God gives that comes from complete access to him in prayer is kind of reserved for his kids. I don't want to disappoint you today if you're not a child of God. Because I want you to know the good news, the great news, is that the one prayer he always hears is that prayer of salvation. See, the Bible says that God's desire is that no one, no one would perish, but all would come to eternal life in him. See, the prayer that God always hears and answers is when we say, God, I've tried to do it on my own and I've blown it and I don't know where else to turn. I can't fix this sin problem. There's no way I can get myself back to where I should be with you. I'm throwing my hands up and surrender. Can you please come and save me? From that moment on, you have complete access to the almighty, loving, never-changing, completely powerful God of the universe. Did you know that? You can go to him in prayer any time of the day. You can tell your heavenly father any want, need, it doesn't even matter. Sometimes we ask for things we think we want, and he gives us the opposite because he knows it's what we need. 
Sometimes we ask for things that seem so tiny to a God that controls all things in the universe, and he does it for us because he just loves to bless his children. And I would say to you today, if you've not had that prayer, if you've not said that, if you've not confessed to being in the wrong and wanting to be made right by him, and if you've not been baptized to, to join his church family to show that, why not? Because any of the things that the world has to offer to take care of your problems will come up short. I guarantee it every time. Every time. Anyone who lies on their deathbed never knowing Jesus, no matter how successful their life was, they will have missed out on the only thing that could have made their eternity good. It's just the truth. It's just the truth. See, we can't have gospel families unless, unless we're gospel people living in that family. Can't do it. You can't take your family and go, hey, we're going to start praying together and worshiping together and reading the Bible together because Brian said we should do that and we're excited about all these things. But if you don't have Christ dwelling in your heart, it won't make a difference. That's called being a, a poser or faking it or whatever, a hypocrite. It can't happen that way because, see, complete, total access to the Father is reserved for His children. You just got to be one of His. But He wants you to be. No matter who you are, no matter what your story is, no matter if you've got a story um, like Wayne's or, or, or like whoever else, you want to you say, I've been bad, I've been bad. Jesus is like, man, I died for every one of your sins, past, present, future. It's wiped out. It's paid for. I've just been waiting for you to turn your face toward mine. And that's good news. From that moment on, you can begin to live as a gospel family. Let him turn your family inside out. Let him bring peace that surpasses all understanding to your home. Amen? Can we pray, Father, you are the one mighty God, the true God. Praying to anyone or anything else would make no sense because there is no power if it's absent of you. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you that... You are teaching us how to be gospel people, how to be gospel families. Father, I pray that we would be families of prayer. I pray that we would begin to see problems and anxiety and worries disappear because you are filling that, that spot in our homes with peace. A peace that only comes from you. A peace that cannot come from anything from this earth. A supernatural peace. That's what we desire. Father, I pray that the reputation we have as a church family in our community and in our area would be one of, of loving people, people that love Jesus and people that love other people, regardless of who they are, what they look like, or what they believe. Father, let us share the good news, the great news of your gospel with those around us. Give us influence. Help us to be willing to serve. We love you, Father, and we are so grateful for all your blessings, but especially the blessing of the cross. For you have done something for us we could not have done on our own. You've made a way where there was no way. Thank you for salvation and eternal life. We love you, Lord. Help us to live in a way that is pleasing to you. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.